Welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I am your HIV positive host, Miss Jennifer Levon. Your undetectable, cannot transmit HIV sexually, HIV positive host. Don't want to ever forget that. U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable. For those that don't know, when someone living with HIV like myself who is on treatment and becomes virally suppressed, it doesn't take that long, about a month or so, um, that's staying on treatment, taking your medication every day, we can no longer transmit the virus sexually or from mother to child. That's called vertical transmission. That is impossible. And also, I read today on cdc.gov, they actually said that um, needle sharing is also under the umbrella for U equals U, but it kind of made me scratch my head because like, if you're responsible enough to be on treatment and be compliant about taking your medication, why are you sharing needles for drugs? Like, I'm sure that there's some crossover, but like, I I don't see those two things as um, something that crosses over, you know what I mean? So, um, but hey, you know, if you are somebody who is, um, you know, sharing needles for drugs, I would think you'd be smarter than that and just, they're not expensive. There's needle exchange programs. Go get some fresh needles. But um, yeah, if you're compliant enough to and responsible enough to take that medication on a daily basis every 24 hours, then... Apparently, if you share needles for drugs, you're not going to transmit HIV. So, hey, I didn't, I didn't know that. I just saw that. I, I feel like we didn't really cover that in the conferences that I've been to um, about U equals U and HIV and all of that. So, um, hey, it was on cdc.gov. I was trying to get some statistics to show somebody about um, female to male transmission, and I did find that um, they have some updated data from 2019 and what it showed is that it's still roughly about 40,000 just under 40,000 new transmissions or I guess people being diagnosed with HIV not transmissions because it's actually people who found out they were positive so um, newly diagnosed um, in 2019 and um, 70% are male-to-male transmissions um, and they identify as gay or bi. And then the other, there's a very sliver, small amount that is um, needle sharing. I mean, it was like un- under those 40,000 people, it was like 1,700. It's like under 2,000. And then they leave the rest to heterosexual heter- heterosexual um, diagnoses. diagnoses. Um, and of those it was around 2000 they say are heterosexual men but they say report as heterosexual men Mm, that doesn't mean they're heterosexual men because there's no category for down low men but the point is regardless 2000 2000 out of 40,000 out of 300 million people, you would not believe the amount of hetero men that contact me thinking that there's this possibility that they got it from a woman. Like, do you, like, it's mind boggling how rare this is. I mean, I'm sure that there are um, plenty of very rare cancers that are more common than a man getting HIV from a woman. I'm, I'm, I'm not even saying that like uh, even slightly kidding um but yeah and the rest were all male to female transmissions or women getting it from men 
And let's see, it was about 18%. So they left about out of the hetero category, it was like 6% um, female to male, but it says men reported, hetero men reported. So that's how they identify as. That doesn't mean that's their sexual identity. That is how they identify as people. And as we know, um, I just had um, my friend Jamila, who follows me um, on, or we follow each other on Instagram. She goes by Mila. Oh, I can't remember what her full um, IG is off offhand. But anyways, um, she sent me a screenshot from Grinder where somebody had said to her, you know what, I'm going to bring it up. Hold on. Okay, if you want to follow her, she goes by Mila, M-I-L-A-H-91. Hi, Mila, if you're listening to this. Um, she's the best. And she sent me the, this grinder screenshot. Wow, we talk a lot. Okay, here it is. Um, so this is what a guy said to her. And he says, are you into topping DL straight guys? Down low straight guys is what this person's asking her. And she says, and I, she is a trans woman, so she has male genitalia. So that is why this person is hitting her up. And she says, um, no disrespect, but no, I'm not interested in topping DL guys. And also, you are not a straight man because you roll DL. The fact that you let trans women, which are biologically men, top you makes you buy, makes you buy. Um, also, being DL puts biological women at higher risk for disease, which is so fucked up. You should start keeping it 100. <laughs> and um, then she says, I said, whoa, did he respond? And she said, no, he blocked me after she wrote that. Um, and so anyways, yeah, I mean, that's, you're not hetero if you're sleeping with men. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It Well, it definitely doesn't make any sense for women who want to date you. Like that's not being straight up because it's putting us at risk for HIV for real. So anyways, um, yeah, those statistics are right there on cdc.gov if you want to see them. Um, and again, hetero men just get so worried about HIV for like freaking no reason. It's right there on the internet. Like the stats are there. It's not hard to see. Um, okay. Um, going into my podcast last week, I just want to say thank you to everybody who was concerned about me on, um, on BART after what had happened. My girlfriend Pia wrote to me, she said, holy shit, Jennifer, I just finished your last podcast. I'm actually shaking. I was so freaked out because I'm so upset about the fear that you never deserve to experience. I'm so, so sorry that happened to you. Okay. No more concerts alone. No way. And, um, on my um, my YouTube account, um, a lot of people had written, um, some nice comments or had commented on it. Um, somebody says, when you said it was, uh, this is from Joel K. It says, um, or he said, when you said that guy was actually looking directly at you and not on his phone, I shuddered. That's scary AF probably makes you want to carry a taser next time, not just pepper spray. Well, I didn't even have pepper spray with me, but um, I would have been fine with the pepper spray. So yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who was concerned about what had happened to me. And yeah, I'd, hopefully it just raised some awareness about just women being alone at night on public transportation or at any time, really. We always have to be looking over our shoulder, unfortunately. I mean, even parking lots and 
hopefully most women know that that is um, a very unsafe place at times as well. Okay, last week I could not remember the name of the judge from X Factor where Chris Renee came in third place, I think it was third place, um, and it was uh, L.A. Reed. A few people had written on my YouTube channel in the comments and said it was L.A. Reed. Yep, um, definitely reminded me of Randy Jackson. They're both like bald black men with kind of similar glasses, and I think they're both producers um, down in L.A., but yeah, L.A. Reed was the one who produced his album, and what was the name of the album again? It is called... It's called I'm Right Here, and I have to say that it, this is on my playlist now for um, the gym, <laughs> and so anytime it comes up and it's like full screen with the album and it says, Chris Renee, I'm right here, I make sure that my phone is flat because I don't want anyone to see um, that I'm listening to Chris Renee, only because some people around here might actually know who he is, and I'm just sort of embarrassed. I don't want anyone to know that I still listen to him. I really do love that song. I think that's one of those songs I'll just love forever, and he has another song called Chains, um, I'm not going to play it, but it's, it's a good one too. So those are my two favorites from that, that album. And I had mentioned, of course, running into James Durbin. I wanted to just play a second of his voice. Like this is the most insane voice. Hold on. This is from his American Idol days. Okay. This is during his audition and Steven Tyler is there from Aerosmith. And this is so incredible. The recording for this isn't very good. I don't know why the audio and the video don't match up. I don't know if it's just because it's it shouldn't. It's not that old. I don't know why, but it's when you watch it, the audio is not matching up with the video. But you guys can't tell because this is just audio. But um, anyways, he's singing. He asked Steven Tyler if he can sing one of his songs, and this is how it sounded. And he is crying while he's singing. I couldn't. I don't. I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to, I could barely talk while I cry, but he's got tears, like, like he's wiping away tears while he's singing like a fucking badass. Okay, listen to this. Yeah. I wanted to see if I could sing one of your songs, if I could get your permission. Please, what do you got? Oh. Dream On? Is that okay? Yeah, wow. come on, yes. He wants it so bad. This is his wife talking. sweet what and that was back in like I don't even know it's been over 10 years that has 2.44 million oh no that's from idols global that were that's where it was uploaded no it has almost 200,000 views um that honestly didn't even showcase his voice as well as it has been showcased let me find one other clip because I know he can sing journey too I just his voice is so pure and he can hit those high notes and it's just insane hold on Oh, I love that. 
Okay, you get the idea. I just wanted people to have an idea of why I was so excited to see him. Like, he is really a phenomenal singer. And like I said, it's just really effortless when he sings. And it's so beautiful. So, yes, James Durbin. Check him out on YouTube or his Facebook. Like, he's definitely on Facebook a lot. Um, I don't think he does as much on Instagram. So, that. And then, oh, yeah. C.C. Davila had talked about him doing a guitar solo. It was... um. Eddie Van Halen's guitar solo from the song is called Eruption so that's the one I don't want to play it because I'll get copyrighted but yeah that's the one I was trying to think of and he played it perfectly it was like kind of cool because you know Eddie's gone which is still so weird I can't believe he's no longer around um okay let's see I wanted to talk about the fact oh yeah that guy Neil the one that may have been a bot somebody said that that person may have been a bot that one on tinder that had like the weird writing remember he said um um i'm still i'm I'm out of the sad day about his wife dying um i did report that account so someone said you know you know do you do you report those accounts or whatever and yes i do so i did report that account um who knows if anything happened with that but yeah you know i did my part um okay and then i did i did have a mental note the other day about people that match with me who clearly obviously don't know my diagnosis And, um, I always kind of think like, I look at their picture and I'm like, I always think like, sir, you are about to, like, you're about to be tested and we'll see where you end up on what side of the coin. Are you going to be an asshole or are you going to be schooled and you're going to be taking it in well and see things in a different way about HIV? But I always think like, these are sort of like innocent guinea pigs that have no idea what they're walking into by meeting me. And I don't mean that, obviously, any fear or anything, but they're going to learn about HIV. And that's part of, um, you know, matching with Jennifer Vaughn. So I always think that when I look at their pictures, like they have no idea what kind of ride they're about to take or um, how they might have to expand their knowledge or be accepting of something they never knew that they'd have to be accepting of, you know, and it's kind of a an interesting process, but, um, I do like that. I do like that there is this possibility that I will be providing to this person's life that they may have never have had, had they not matched with me, if that makes sense. All right. I had alluded in my last podcast about, um, hemorrhoids (laughs) and someone said, please tell the hemorrhoid story or stories. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, people do not talk about this. And it is, I don't know. I have another girlfriend who went through this as well. And um, a longtime friend. And she, I don't think she ever had the surgery. But she was, she had a thrombosed one. And she was in excruciating pain. It, the word excruciating applies to this big time. Yeah, she was in excruciating pain. So I had, the first time it happened to me was in high school. And that one went away. But what it did, so it's like basically what it is for those that have never had one. When you look at, you know, a butthole, look at your dogs. I don't know. Look at your own if you want to. The wrinkly parts of the, you know, it's like, it's, uh, you know, take your finger and, well, you know, it's the, it's the wrinkled part. It's one of those basically poofs out. It poofs out. It fills with blood. And it's from straining typically on the toilet is what they say. Don't sit on the toilet too long. Don't push too hard. Um, 
it's typically genetic. So if you've, if other people, my grandpa, apparently my mom's dad had had this issue. Um, but yeah, I, there was nothing going in that way. It was not anything to do, it had nothing to do with sex or anything. I was a virgin the first time that happened, which it didn't matter regardless because that wasn't happening anyways, even after I lost my virginity. But um, yeah, I was, um, I was a virgin until I went to college. So, but anyways, this happened in high school the first time. And I remember saying to my mom, it hurt. Like, I remember like something didn't feel right and it hurt. And and she said, Oh, it sounds like, and I kind of thought I might know what it was, but you know, there was no internet back then. It wasn't like I could look something up on the freaking computer. It was just hearing my mom talk about it before. And of course, you know, there was preparation age. You'd see that in your parents' drawers or whatever, but I, you know, I wasn't totally sure. And then it, I guess it just went away. And then I went into my freshman year of college and probably the stress of college. I really don't even know what brought it on, but, um, I did have a boyfriend then. I was so mortified cause I didn't want him to know what was going on, but this thing, it like blew up. So one of those little creases blew up the size of a grape, like for real, like a great, I'm not, I mean, it was, it was the size of a grape. I mean, what can I say? And it was purple. So what had happened is the blood filled up in this skin. I mean, I don't even know how it happened. It was like it just appeared. And what's happening is your, you know, your butthole is constantly constricted. That's what it's meant to do, right? And so it's squeezing, and there's a lot of nerve endings there. So it's squeezing this thing. Um, and the nerves are, it's just, it's so painful. I can't even tell you how painful it is. So I did everything I could to try to make this thing go away. I was, I remember laying in bed and like pushing it back in and then it would just pop right back out. And I know that sounds gross, but I was asking my mom like what to do. And then I would feel like it would kind of go back in, but then it would slowly slip back out. And, and then when I looked at it in the mirror, it was purple. I mean, it probably wasn't as big as a grape, but it felt like it, but it was, no, it was, it was there. It wasn't going away. I think I spent like four days dealing with this, trying to make it like stay in and it wasn't. And, um, I went to bed even, I remember taking like, um, ice cubes and a Ziploc bag and like putting that in between my butt cheeks when I went to bed, hoping like that would like do something. And it didn't do anything. It just keeps slipping back out. And then you're like, you're literally, your butthole is constricted and it's tight. It's a tight muscle. It's squeezing at the base of it. And just, it's super painful. And so we made an appointment at, um, in Redwood city at Sequoia hospital, um, to have it removed. And I didn't know what I was in for at all. I had no clue, but all I knew is that I was in so much pain and it was day four of this. I couldn't concentrate on school or anything. It just, it's, it's a never ending pain. Like I couldn't sleep. I'm sure I took you know, ibuprofen, but it wasn't probably doing much. And so I couldn't wait to get this thing taken off me or cut open or whatever they were going to do. Cause I thought this will be, that'll take care of it and it'll just feel so much better. So, you know, I'm 18. Um, I'm a girl and it's kind of embarrassing obviously to go to a, it was a pediatrician's office to have this taken care of. I'm not sure they were even prepared to deal with this, but they, they did it. So I go into the exam room. This is just a regular exam room at a doctor's office. I, they have me lay down on the table, but my, um, 
I remember I was like, like sort of, I, th I was bent over sort of like, I, I don't know if I had my feet on the ground or not, but I was definitely, no, no, no. I was on the table. I was on the table because they asked me to grab my one butt cheek and hold it open. They taped my butt cheek. They put tape on the inside of my one butt cheek, pulled my butt cheek open and taped it to the side of the table. And then they did the same on the other side. But while they were getting the first butt cheek prepared, they had me hold my other one open. Like, could I have been more embarrassed? I mean, like, I was a pretty shy kid. And I had just lost my virginity, not even, I don't even know when exactly when this happened. But it was like, I hadn't even been a year, I hadn't even been uh, with this new boyfriend. And he was the first boyfriend that I did everything with and, and all that. I was, I had just turned 18 and we met at San Jose State in the dorms. And yeah, anyways. Um, and I was going to tell a story about that too, <laughs> that whole first time experience. But um, so they tape, so I'm laying on this bed, uh, face down, gripping the sides of the bed, not sure what's going to happen next. There's a nurse in the room and there's a pediatrician there, or there's some doctor that's going to take care of this. And, um, I do recall, I can't remember the words that were spoken or anything, but I do remember telling the story so many times in the past and saying something about the fact that the nurse seemed, um, awkward or, or uncomfortable with the whole thing because she like, she, or, or she didn't like know what she was doing or she'd never seen this before or whatever. Like I felt like, but again, I was really, really uncomfortable at that point And I was willing to do anything to have this pain go away. So they, my butt is taped open. I'm it's bright in the room. Everyone's looking at my butthole and they have to numb it. So I get shots right around my butthole. And I'll never forget like the first couple were like, oh, it just took my breath away. So they numb it. And all of a sudden, I can't feel anything. And it's the first time I've had relief in days, like I'm completely numb now down there, I can't feel a thing. Thank fucking God. So um, I feel that was it. I think there was a conversation between the doctor and her and um, I could feel the blood dripping down the inside of my thigh as they were cutting this thing off or whatever they were doing. I don't know exactly, but they definitely, well, they cut it out. Yeah, they cut it out. So, um, but I could, I felt, and I think there was some, something about getting the blood that was dripping down or whatever. Like I could totally feel it dripping. Down. I was in shorts. It was warm out. And, um, so anyways, uh, they taped me up with a bunch of gauze, you know, they put a bunch of, like I walked out of there with like a giant pad and, you know, there's all this cotton and gauze in my butt crack all taped up and stuff. And, um, so I, my mom had met me from, I was at San Jose state. She was working at her office with my stepdad, Ron, but came and met me for this whole thing. I, you know, that we were like, you know, I'm like, I've got to go today. And she's like, I will meet you. I'll leave work and I'll meet you there. And, um, so anyways, she said, are you okay? You know, you want me to come home with you? And we lived in Mountain View at the time. Or my mom, I lived at San Jose State, but our house was in Mountain View, which is um, the opposite direction from her work. But I said to her, um, no, I'm fine. I, I don't feel anything. It feels fine. I feel like I can go home. I'll just go and wait at your house for a little bit or whatever till you get home tonight. I was, I was planning on being there at their house that night. So I wasn't like, you know, whatever. I wasn't like alone. And I just had like a little minor surgery or whatever. So 
I get back to their place in Mountain View and all of a sudden little twinges, tinges of the Novocaine starts to wear off. I would say it took about 15 to 20 minutes once that first feeling started to come back for the full effect to come in to play. I was beside myself in excruciating, stabbing, sharp, cutting pains in my butthole. So the, it, it like just, it felt like an open cut with salt being poured into it. Um, and I remember she had a wrought iron bed frame, like at the foot of the bed and the head, the head of the bed. And I was, I literally could not even walk downstairs. I was having trouble even getting the phone because the pain was so bad. And I thought that I was probably bleeding a ton and I was able to go in the bathroom and like look at the pad and there was like nothing on it. Um, so it really was just the Novocaine wearing off and the, um, me or the general anesthetic, general anesthetic or whatever, but, um, I could feel everything. It felt like someone had taken a knife. That's what I'd always imagined in my head. It felt like someone had taken a knife and gutted my butthole. That's exactly what it felt like. I mean, and the pain was not, it was, I can't even tell you how bad it was. So I am dying. I'm, sw I'm sweating like cold sweats. Like I've never had this kind of pain in my life. Cause again, your, it, and your butthole is squeezing this, you know, new fresh wound that they've cut. And, you know, there's no stitches or anything. It will heal on its own. But because of the area where this has happened, it's just the nature of the area, the nerve endings, the squeezing and the new open wound. I, it's, cannot explain how painful this is. And for anyone who's been through it, they understand it's the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. So she gets home. I couldn't, that was it. I couldn't even get down, get downstairs to get to the ibuprofen or Tylenol or whatever I was trying to take. Um, so by the time she got up there, because she had to race home from San Mateo, which was like over a half an hour away. And I remember I was like gripping the metal wrought iron bars on the end of her bed. I was laying on my stomach and I was, <clears throat> I think I was probably crying at this point, just like shuddering in pain because I didn't, I couldn't take it. And, you know, I've, you know, I, who knew that I was a year later, I was going to get shot in a, in a freaking bank robbery. But um, like, and honestly, <laughs> this is worse. This is worse than that. And that was a, you know, I'd been shot in my wrist and that hit a nerve there. And that was very painful. But this is worse. So um, anyways, I, you know, got on, I really needed to be on Vicodin. That's, and I probably ended up getting some. Um, and so what happens is, yeah, I did. I got Vicodin. So, and maybe it just wasn't ready at the time or whatever. They had to get it from the pharmacy. And I, I just, yeah, I didn't have it um, right when the pain set in. So what happens is Vicodin makes you constipated, obviously. So you go through this vicious cycle in the healing process after a hemorrhoid is removed. So you're, you get constipated from the Vicodin. The Vicodin does help the pain. It, it doesn't take it all the way away, but it def definitely gets some of that ex in extreme pain to go away. And then you have to try to go to the bathroom. So every time you go to the bathroom, you're reopening this wound that is trying to heal. And fecal matter is going right over it. And that stings really, really, really bad. And it feels like the cut feels like it's 
the size of like your hand. It feels so big, but in all reality, it's probably just a little slit, but it's so painful because the, well, fecal matter's like dirty. I mean, like that, that touching that area is so, it's like, you know, it's, I guess, again, it's like, you know, salt being poured into a wound. So every time you poop and you don't want to poop, it's hard to poop because you know, you're going to be going through this extreme pain, trying to push it out and you're constipated on top of it. It becomes this battle and you can't, and you get like more constipated because you can't go because you're, you know, taking the Vicodin. Uh, Oh my gosh. I remember like seeing colors. Like I almost, I'm like, I don't know how I didn't pass out when I would finally be able to like push it out, you know, I don't mean to be gross, but like, oh my God. And taking a bath would help a little bit, but what are you going to do? You can't poop in the bath. So you have to just, oh, and then when you're, when you finally get it out, you look in the toilet and it is, the water's completely red, like all the way through. Like you, you drip so much blood into the toilet. It's really hard to see it. It's like, oh my God, like Jesus Christ, it looks like a murder scene in the toilet. That goes on for weeks, <laughs> like literally like at least two to three weeks where you're struggling to go to the bathroom because of the Vicodin, but you have to take the Vicodin because of the pain. It's just like this. And then it rips it open again over and over and over. So, um, I've always said that I wouldn't even wish this upon my, my worst enemy for them to go through the recovery of a hemorrhoid surgery because of the, how incredibly painful it is. It is by far the worst pain I've ever been through in my life. So, um, yeah, and then it will finally start to heal. So, um, that was surgery number one. Then I had my daughter Ryan and we had had a birthday party at our house and I had had a hemorrhoid. I think it was, oh no, this was the one. That's right. I, um, I had had her on a front pack on and I, she was two and a half months old. So my body had been through a lot, even though it was two and a half months later, but I was nursing, you know, I'm trying to do it all. You're, you're, I've also got Joey and I'm, you know, trying to um, be super mom and stuff. Well, your body does get tired and it breaks down in certain ways. And this is how it just finally ended up coming through was through another hemorrhoid. And so I, the pressure of having her on the front pack, it was during, um, Joey's birthday. Um, and I, and my, unfortunately my ex-husband's sisters had gotten in a fight in my, not physical, but they had gotten to a big shouting match in my kitchen. It was just some stuff had just finally boiled over and it happened on my daughter's birthday. It was so lovely at the end of her birthday in my kitchen. And, um, so I was stressed out about that. And then, um, the, I think the pressure of the front pack with the baby in it, just, it put pressure down there and then boom, I had another one. That one, I remember I was like volunteering at the YMCA and I was, oh my God, I was, and I could take Ryan with me. And I remember having to call them and tell them that I, I was so embarrassed. Like I, I could have made anything up, but I wanted to be honest that I was like in this like excruciating pain. I literally couldn't sit there and do the daycare center. Um, it was like a play area kind of, you'd volunteer there and then you get like free YMCA, you know, time or whatever. So, but I, I remember I couldn't do it and I had to pull over. Ryan was sleeping in her car seat. I was in so much pain in the car driving that I had to pull over and lay down. I had a, um, I had a, a forerunner then, and I had to lay in the back of the car and try to push it back in because I could, I couldn't even drive. It was it had fallen out and it was hurting so bad 
That one I didn't end up getting surgery for because I I just waited. It took like about a month and it finally receded all the way and I just I just sucked it up. I don't know if I was just afraid to get the surgery again or whatever, but I didn't. But that was a really bad um, occasion where I got another one. And then I went through my divorce in 2008 and I started, these are all the ones that I really, really remember. I started dating this man um, and I remember like it happened again. I don't know if it was the stress of like, it was the first guy I dated after my divorce from my kid's dad. And I don't, it's the guy that I've talked about that had hep C and I was so embarrassed. I, I, it had happened again and I was like, oh my God. And again, it was just like, this is, I've got to have this taken care of surgically. So I didn't have anybody to pick me up from the hospital. I don't, I don't remember how I got there. I think my girlfriend, Rachel took me. I don't remember. I think I was relying on friends. My family didn't live in the area. I had to go to a surgery center and they, oh, that's right. I had gone to several different doctors. This one ended up, I I mean, not to be gross, but it had, it happened internally, but it was excruciating. You couldn't see it. It was inside me. So there's three areas inside our, um, our colon where you can, where you can get thrombosed, um, hemorrhoids. And I had gone to a doctor. I was crying. I was like shaking. I went to this doctor and he put his finger up there and he's feeling around. He goes, I don't feel anything. And I said, I can't, I am in so much pain. I like went into, um, Salud Padalajente, which is where my medical was, went up to the front desk with my daughters. I was like shaking. I was in so much pain. That's when they sent me to this other doctor. He did a rectal exam. He couldn't feel anything, but I told him there was something wrong. He was the one who did the surgery at the surgery center. He said they went in and he goes, you were not lying. He goes, it was the size of a golf ball. And this was internal. Like the, the, he goes, we couldn't, I couldn't feel it. He goes, when he palpated my rectum, he couldn't feel it, but I could. And so what it had done is it blew up inside of my body and it sucked my butthole in. Like I knew my butthole looked weird. It was like all sucked in. So he removed that one and the other two that could possibly do that. He said, we're born with three areas where this could possibly thrombose. And he said, so he took all three of them out. So that would never, ever happen again. And I thought, I'm done. I never have to worry. And I, of course, I had to go through that whole recovery again with the Vicodin and the tearing it open again. Like it was, even though it was internal, I still had the whole recovery process. I remember being at that guy's house, that Johnny guy and um, waiting for Vicodin to kick in. And I was just like sitting there just like, I'm so sorry. Like I'm just in so much pain. And I remember being on his floor and laying my head down on his couch, like on the seat of the couch and just being like, I just didn't want to move. I was just in so much pain. Um, and of course, again, it took like a month to get over that. And again, this had nothing to do with that kind of sex. I wasn't doing that. This is just all my body just being, you know, I don't know, that area just was susceptible for some reason. And so, um, the last thing that happened is that I ended up having a little bit of, um, and I'd be kind of like, um, what do you call it? Um, graphic here. I had a little poof of skin in that area that I thought looked unsightly. I didn't like it. It was like one of those little areas. I don't know. It's like, it seemed to have slipped out. It was, it hadn't turned into a hemorrhoid, but I, it just didn't look good. I wanted my butt all tucked in and look, 
looking cute, right? And I had just started dating um, the person that I was with when the person that I was with when I was diagnosed with HIV. So I was with him. And I had shown this is after I was diagnosed with HIV, because I had shown my HIV doctor, I said, can you just, is there like a procedure where we could just cut that extra skin off? Because I, it's like, I would think about this person having sex with me from behind in my girl part, and looking down and seeing that, like skin kind of sticking out around my butthole, I was just like, really concerned about it. And there was nothing I could do about it. I could shove it back in there, but it just kind of came out. So I wanted it like, I, it was more cosmetic. I just wanted it fixed. So I went to a doctor at Watsonville Hospital and I, he was a surgeon. I remember he was young. He was Asian. Um, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> he was. Anyways, um, but I know he was young. And I remember, I, of course, I have to show him my, I had to show my doctor too, Dr. Wendy, my butthole. I remember bending over in her office and like having to show her. So she goes, oh, okay, I can, I kind of see what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, it's just like, I just want it, I just wanted it cut off. So I tell this doctor, that's what I want. Well, I go in for the surgery and um, he tells me that he went in and there was something like there was more inside that I was, he wasn't aware of. And I didn't even have hemorrhoids. Like I didn't go in there to have a hemorrhoid removed. I went in there to have this extra skin cut off. Like I almost felt like I could do it with a pair of scissors. You know what I mean? Of course I'm not going to do that. But he went in and did like, he, he stretched out well, I don't know if he stretched it out, but he obviously, you have to put some kind of scope in there to open up the butthole to look in there, I guess. I don't really know how they do it. I never really asked, but the, I ended up going through the same recovery after that. It was the third time. And he said that he had gone in there and I had definitely had issues inside and he took more stuff out. I was like, oh my God. And I was kind of pissed because I didn't expect for him to do anything internal. To me, this was just an external fix. I didn't want... I didn't want hemorrhoid removal surgery. That's not what I was there for. But regardless, he did go in and found more stuff, apparently. Um, and uh, I had to go through the same recovery process one more time. So I did that three times, almost four times. But that fourth one was when I was, you know, Ryan had been born, born and I, I just waited for that one to go away on its own. But it took, I mean, it was well over a month. It took a long, long time and I was in pain for a long time. Um, but yeah, I haven't had any problems since that's been over five years and I don't suspect that I will ever have a problem like that again. And, um, you know, everything is now all tucked in, looks fine, but, oh my God, what a nightmare my butthole has been. I swear the worst, again, the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Okay, so there's my hemorrhoids story. I said I would tell it. I'm not ashamed of it. We all have buttholes. It's like, you know, it happens. Shit happens, <laughs> literally. Um, and again, this had nothing to do with anal sex or anything. This is just how my body is made. And it just happened. So, and it was unfortunate, but, um, okay. So going back to that first boyfriend that I thought that this would be a fun story to end on. Um, again, I've, I've been with three Eric's. This was my first Eric and he was my first boyfriend. And, um, yeah, so we, I don't think I've told this before. I feel like I haven't, I've God, if I did, I apologize. But, um, so we, um, 
met at San Jose State within, like, I'd say maybe even the first or second day that I'd moved in the dorms. And I remember again, just thinking like, oh my God, like looking at these dorms and thinking, God, my parents are paying for this. Like there's guys walking from the shower area to their rooms and just a towel. And like, this is my life now. Like <laughs> what? Like this is crazy. Cause I was boy crazy and I had not even, well, I kind of kissed like one boy, like doing like truth or dare in high school, but I didn't have a boyfriend in high school. I crushed on everybody, but no one ever took me up on it. So anyways, this was my first, um, time having a boyfriend. And so, yeah, he and I remember we were watching like some late night show. We were on a twin bed and we were shoulder to shoulder and we'd hung out, you know, for a couple days, I was starting to get to know this guy and I wasn't even sure I was totally into him, but, um, he didn't go back to his dorm room that night. Well, I mean, I guess he did at some point, but I remember he, he was needing to trim his nails. That was his excuse to lean over me. And he was looking for the nail, uh, trimmer that I don't remember something to do with a nail trimmer but it was an excuse just to kind of reach over me and then that was how it started and he started kissing me and it was super exciting we totally made out on my twin dorm bed and then it proceeded we we proceeded to go it was beautiful like August um, night and I think it was before my birthday I was like almost yeah it was like we moved in the dorms and like August 20th or 21st or something. My birthday's on the 24th. And I think this like all happened like a few days or something before my, no, maybe we even moved in around the 17th. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. But, um, I, we, yeah, my whole point of this is that I think I lost my virginity right before I turned 18, like literally like a day or two or something. But anyways, we left the dorms. It was really beautiful, warm night in San Jose. And, um, we were walking around the school and I remember like he had had one girlfriend prior to coming to San Jose state. He was a year older than me. So he'd already had one year in the dorms. And, um, but I had not had a boyfriend and I had been waiting for a very long time to hold a boy's hand or, um, have a boy like put his arm around me or anything like that. And so I remember asking him to sit on the grass with me and sit behind me and let me lean into him like so he could wrap his arms around me. I wanted to know what that felt like and I like asked him to do it and it was super nice. I mean, I wanted to feel all those things, you know, and so, um, but this did not lead to sex that night. It was just kissing and making out and like holding hands and intertwining fingers and oh my God, all the things I wanted to feel so badly. You know, I watched Days of Our Lives and I would watch Jack and Jennifer and like I literally just would live vicariously through that show and the um the kissing scenes and I'd just be like, you know, I God, I so badly wanted that. So badly wanted to see what it would feel like to have that um interaction with a guy and it was everything and more. It was awesome. And so we had talked about having sex for the first time and he obviously knew I was a virgin. And um I remember saying to my girlfriends that, that I had, you know, new girlfriends in the dorm, you know, I don't know. I think I like he wants to go all the way. I mean, like, should I have him be my first guy, like for my first time? Like I remember having these conversations with a few different girls in the dorms about like, if I should let him be the one that takes my virginity, it was kind of a big deal. Um, but I was ready. <laughs> I was ready to like, try this obviously a little scared, but I knew that he'd already done it, you know, and he knew what to do. And I, you know, I hadn't even been naked in front of a guy ever. Like, 
no guy had ever seen my body naked. And um, I was pretty insecure about my body in general. I mean, as are most, you know, 18 year olds. But anyways, um, I remember we just decided to try it or whatever we were. um, I don't know if we it was right around dinner time. And I think everybody had gone to the DC, the dining commons. And so we knew like his roommate would be gone and stuff. And he had the upper bunk. And oh, no, 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 no there was no he had like a bunk that or his bed was a little bit raised that was it it was a little bit it wasn't totally on the ground I don't know if it was up on milk crates or something but I remember that there was a stereo on the floor and we had the drapes drawn so it was you know as dark as it could be at five o'clock at night in the summer and he was gonna go we were gonna start you know we were starting we were in bed we were naked like I'm And I remember thinking, oh my God, like my clothes are off. Like I am naked in a bed with a boy. Like, oh my God. Like that, that alone was just like blowing my mind, but I felt okay about it. I was like, okay, like this is, this is actually happening. Um, and he went to go change the stereo and it was like either to another station or whatever. So the light from the stereo was shining a little bit it was illuminating that part of the floor and he I remember seeing him walk over to the stereo and squat down to do it and I watched and I could not believe what an erect penis looked like I was like like kind of like turned off by it in a way and like it's super funny and like wow it was big like Jesus Christ I mean I had seen one porn that I think I've talked about that some boys up the street had brought to my house. And I remember thinking that those don't look like Oscar Mayer wieners, which is what I thought they would look like. They were way bigger than I had ever imagined a real penis would look like erect. I was like, wow, that's like way like the circumference was way bigger than I had ever imagined. So of course, yes, his too. I mean, he's 19. So it's pretty much, I guess, full grown at that point. But I just remember that light illuminating up and like just being like, oh my god, nothing is like silly looking. That's like really big. Oh my god, ew. And I don't know. Like, do I laugh? Is I I know I wasn't turned on. I was just like more like shocked by it. And um, I will say that it did not work. Um, we struggled for the first two times. It did not make its way, and I couldn't. It was like so painful. I remember just being like, this is not happening. The third time, it finally, he's like, just, you know, just try, just try, just let me try to get it in. And it finally happened. And I just remember being like, (gasps) and I didn't have a hymen to break because I had broken that when I was like, I don't know, three or four. I fell off the diving board at my house when I was little and one leg got caught on the board and one it was like I did the splits from the board I kind of fell and I don't really exactly know what happened but there was like a trail of blood behind me in the water and they had to take me to the emergency and I remember them putting like a really long q-tip q-tip of my vajayjay and me being like just petrified at the um er and anyways they yeah apparently that's I ripped my hymen when I was like three or four um I totally remember the whole incident and I remember the blood in the pool and I remember not wanting anyone to see it because I didn't want anyone to know what had happened because it it looked scary and I didn't want (laughs) what happened to me happen I didn't want to go to the doctor and have anybody look at that area and it had to happen so um anyways 
there was no hymen to tear, but I wasn't, um, I, you know, I wasn't prepared for the size of his, you know, and he was normal size, but, and it all became easier after that. And we, you know, invested in KY jelly for lots of sex time after that. And we, we pretty much did everything. I mean, we didn't do, I think we might have tried anal sex. I don't, I don't remember. I don't think, I don't remember, but we did like everything. We were very, very, um, experimental with each other. And, um, it was great. Like it was a great, we were together for like a year and nine months and I trusted him and he trusted me. And it was, um, it was just, it was a good first experience for sure. Um, first, a good first sexual partner, I should say. And, um, yeah. And, and his penis looked crazy big in that stereo light. <laughs> okay. Oh, I was going to cut it off there, but I just remembered that I had a TikTok live last weekend that, um, they put me on the for you live page and I, I filibustered for almost three hours straight about my story. You equals you, you name it. I talked as much as I could. I, my voice was so exhausted by the end, but, um, at the end it said that I had reached 270,000 viewers and I had over 6,000 new followers. I'm really close to hitting 30,000 right now, which kind of blows my mind because it took me a long time to get to that point first time around. So it's, you know, it's hasn't even been, I think it's been like a month and I've already reached 30,000. So I'm really happy about that, but more pleased obviously with the lives and the amount of people that I'm reaching during that time. I mean, 270,000 freaking viewers, like what? And when I had to say good night, there were 4,000 people on right then. And I, I said, I'm just so tired. I can't answer any more questions. Like, thank you so much for being on the live. And this is where you can find all my stuff. And, um, yeah, it was great. I, I just, I, again, there's no other, there's no other platform like TikTok for reach, but it is a really shitty platform with regards to creator like help. And I've got friends that are dealing with that right now that are just really frustrated with not getting um, paid by TikTok. Like they've fucked their account up to the point that they can't get the money that TikTok owes them. And there's like no one to reach. And, you know, they make it impossible. They really make it impossible. So it's got, you know, it's not a perfect platform. That is for sure. We're lucky it's there. Do they owe us anything? No. Um, but yeah, they, they pull the carpet out from people a lot. I'm not the only one. Like I hear about this all the time. And, and I just, I follow this lady that talks about relationships and she did one, I think she's got like 2.1 million followers, but she's done TikToks about asking people to write to TikTok for her. She doesn't know what else to do. Like she said, I, I keep getting reported for this and that and this and that, which is crazy. There's this one lady who's got like 2 million followers. She's a sex, um, education, uh, like teacher. I don't, can't think of a, a better word for that. But, um, anyway, she, she uses, she uses like rubber vaginas. They're chocolate colored, you know, and it's like, it looks like a cutout of a woman's body, but they are very realistic. They were obviously taken from a mold of a woman more than likely. I don't know. And all the anatomical parts are there. And like, she's got videos on like, when you pull a, tampon out and it looks like blood's coming out. I mean, it is so graphic. I don't, 
I'm blown away that these videos are approved for TikTok and then my stuff got taken down. But I know a lot of people feel that way about um, lots of TikToks that they see. They'll say, oh, so that's okay. But like you took mine down with, because I like this one guy I know, he's been reported for nudity. But well, first of all, he's a guy with his shirt off and he's maybe showing like nipple high. I mean, I don't even know like what, like he's not nude. Um, and yeah, he'll have videos taken down for that. So, um, yeah, they don't, they don't really protect the creators very much. They, they, um, I don't know who knows. We don't even know who's running this. All I know is it's in China. <laughs> That's all I know. And they're getting all our information, but, um, regardless, I'm happy about the platform just for the reach for the lives. Cause it's just fantastic. And yeah, 270,000 in three hours. Where else could I do that? Like that would, there's no other platform that can do that. Um, in a three hour span for one thing. Um, like really literally like what a, a movie at like a TV show. I don't even know if that reaches 200,000 people. I don't even know, but like for social media, it is by far the best, um, with regards to that. So I'm really happy about the fact that I still have that kind of access for lives. And, um, I did a live tonight and it like, it's a hit or miss. Sometimes I get on the for, for you page, the for you live page, and then sometimes it doesn't happen. Um, so I just, you know, I'm trying to make my green screen as, um, informative as possible. So I'm working with, um, sizes of fonts and pictures and where I'm going to fit in on the green screen. And because when I make it on Instagram story, that's where I put it all together and then put it on the TikTok live. It actually like gets bigger on the TikTok live. Like the dimensions are different. So I have to keep going back and playing with it. But, um, I, I think it's helpful to have a lot of the information up there on this green screen. A lot of the, uh, questions are answered on that. You know, there's like a picture of me and Eric Cutter and it says, you know, this is who I got it from. No, I'm not mad at him. He didn't know he had it. No, I didn't sue him. You know, my, I live a normal life. Of course, the very top in red, it says I'm HIV positive. It shows my sick picture. And, um, yeah, anyways, I'm just, I'm still fiddling around with that. So anyways, okay. Um, it is wow. Oh my God. It's almost one in the morning. Why am I not tired? This is really going to mess me up Monday morning when I have to go to work because there's no way I'm going to be ready for bed tomorrow at nine, 9 or 10 o'clock. I'm going to have to get myself up early tomorrow so I can adjust to the time, but it is almost one in the morning. It's 1251 right now. All right, guys, have a good rest of the weekend. We're supposed to get rain tomorrow. We shall see. Um, yeah, have a good rest of the weekend and a good week and I'll be back soon. Love you guys. Thanks so much for your love, support and for listening. Appreciate you all. Bye. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review and share my show. Thanks, guys.